When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. And they haven't proven anything that they're going to get back in it, but so much for that. There's a pick by Harrison Smith. The running on the field is an interception. First down, Minnesota. And down he goes all the way back to the 28-yard line. That's and that's the third sack of the game by Daniel Hunt. Even the play-by-play on the broadcast sounded disinterested yesterday in a 20-7 win. Minnesota Vikings over the Detroit Lions in studio for the day. Our journeyman quarterback has made his journey to Minnesota. Sage Rosenfels, what is going on, my friend? Uh, can, can you tell me what the most recent holiday was? Um, that would be Thanksgiving. Okay, so I, I saw you after the game in the tunnel uh, going into the Vikings locker room. And you said like three negative things in a row, like "Oh my gosh, that game was so boring." Uh-huh, and yep, then yep. The da ba ba ba, the ba 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 ba. And I was like, you know, that was just a nice win. I, mean, no, I bet you no, some coaches saw that as a thing of beauty. Oh, I'm sure they did. Right? I think if I, I was think, a coach, I would too. I think Mike Zimmer saw it as a thing of beauty. I think Kevin Stefanski saw it as a thing of beauty. It was not perfect, but uh, you know, they played the game the way it needed to be played. They had a young quarterback on the other side. Uh, they were the better football team. They got the lead, and then they, they just sort of sat on them. And, you know, do you want to be overly aggressive and keep throwing the football or just say, you know, this quarterback is not going to bring these guys back, so we're not going to be too aggressive offensively. Uh, they kept the, the ball away from the other team. They ran the football fairly well, even when they had that lead. And defensively, they kept them out of the end zone until the very end. And so I, I think that was, a in so many ways, a, a beautiful win. There was maybe one play that freaked everybody out uh, when Cousins tried to throw the ball away as he had a guy hanging from him, and it almost got intercepted. Then it was a completed pass, so it hurts his yards. center. It does hurt his yards <laughs> per attempt or yards yeah, per completion. Yes, that's right. But uh, Bradbury got a catch. Uh, and other than that, it wasn't a, a very eventful game, uh, but uh, an excellent win. And when they had to have, because these three coming up, looks more and more how valuable these are, are going to be. And, and at least, uh, at least I, I, probably all three teams, but at least two of the teams we know are, are playing pretty good football right now. So I, I don't disagree with anything you said there. And the coaching staff and the players, they should all go to dinner after and 
eat their food and talk about how they had a good win. Good for us. Good job. Us, we didn't blow it to Detroit. Here's why I was upset after the game. It wasn't just they didn't blow it. I mean, they, they, they was, that was, it was a, a dominating sizable, win. Yes. That was a, yeah, that was, was a landslide win. It could have been 50 to 7. Could have been if they really wanted to. If they to. had really put down the gas. But why I was annoyed with the game yesterday is... The San Francisco 49ers and New Orleans Saints played the game of the year, 48-46. to Drew Brees threw for 349 yards. Actually, Jimmy Garoppolo threw for 349 yards. Those guys had higher ratings than 130. They were throwing all over each other. As a enjoyer of the football, I wanted to be watching that and not watch David Blau play quarterback. It was one of those where the minute I walked into the stadium at U.S. Bank, I thought... There's just no chance. There is no chance. It's not like we're talking about with Denver, where, well, they have Vaughn Miller, and you never know, and that then Vic Fangio, that sort of thing. He's a defensive mind. It was, their defense is trash. Matt Patricia is the worst coach in the league who hasn't been fired yet. Their quarterback is awful and has no idea what he's doing. He's at U.S. Bank Stadium where even Man, good quarterbacks he, take freak it easy out. On the quarterback. Was, I thought he played okay. No, Got the he ball out of his best. Yeah, he took some okay. terrible sacks and, uh, you backup know, threw a terrible apologist. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but there were takeaways. So let's, let's go through them. Here's the, where I want to start with you. Kirk Cousins wakes up this morning. He uh, rubs his eyes and he pulls up PFF.com to see what Pro Football Focus said Does about he his do stats. That? He's a stats guy. Yeah. Okay. He actually had a good explanation yesterday after the game to why completion percentage isn't that great of a stat. I like that. Yeah. I, I saw that. Yep. Good yeah. for him. He went to, and this is where I give Cousins a ton of credit for being the most diligent guy. You'll never find anyone who cares more about every bit of minutia with football. And he went to their analytics department in the offseason to learn more about what he could do statistically, what the stats said about his game for him to improve. I give him credit for that, and play action was a big part of it, of course, as you and I have talked well, about. play action needed to be called and, yes. like, and designed. <laughs> right. and, and it wasn't all last year. Yes. And, and we'll get to that because I've got some more stats on, on that. But Cousins with a clean pocket this year, number one quarterback in the NFL, just a shade above Drew Brees, with a clean pocket this season. He is also holding the ball longer than anyone else in the NFL in terms of snap to throw, but he is 17th in how much he's pressured. So he isn't being pressured all that much. He's getting a lot of clean pockets, and he's taking advantage of them when he has them, which to me points to his skill set being married with Kevin Stefanski, Gary Kubiak, and the system working perfectly for Kirk Cousins. It is, and he does know also that when he has to go back five or even seven steps, I think it seems like he's in a bit of a hurry to to get the ball out. He's not waiting around, uh, to, you know, and for somebody to get open deep, deep down the field or whatever. He's getting the ball. He's getting the ball. It's a lot of the intermediate passes. And then when they want to throw the ball down the field, um, they, that's when they go to the play action stuff. That's when they go to the bootleg stuff. And yeah, on those plays, you hold the ball for a long time, but you're also not trying to block, uh, the offensive line's not trying to block the defensive line who are just straight coming after the quarterback as long either. So uh, the, the sort of the second half of the play action is where the D lineman and the linebacker sort of figure out, okay, it is a pass, now we can go after the quarterback. And so that you can get about two seconds there uh, of added time holding on to the football. So they do a great job with that, and then they do a good job on the drop back pass. He's, he's been been great about understanding coverages, 
understand the route combinations and getting the ball out quick and on time and obviously extremely accurate and his accuracy is is very impressive to watch it's it's hard uh you know there's there's some you know great accurate or accurate quarterbacks out there brady is amazing and obviously breeze and sometimes the things that rogers does with his accuracy from weird angled throws is astonishing but when when kirk is on that level platform and things are good he almost never misses and he was missing some of those early in the year i mean we can go go back to that adam yep. thielen throwing the high corner route versus the bears i I think it was the first third down of that game. Clean pocket, seven mm-hmm. step drop. Nobody around him, and just throw, you know overthrows him by two yards. He missed some of those early in the year. And he has rarely missed the second half of the season. Yep. And I do wonder over these last three games how different it will look when this version of Kirk Cousins faces the Packers defense again. This version faces the Chicago Bears defense again. Even if the Bears are out of the playoffs, I think they're going to be playing for pride when it comes to going against the Vikings. Oh, there's nothing they yeah. would love than to like knock the Vikings exactly. out of the playoffs or out of a number you know two seed or something like that. Exactly. And even though the Packers don't have a good overall defense, they do have Zadarius and Preston Smith and Kenny Clark, who completely ruined the game plan the first game against the, the Vikings Man, at Lambeau. A, that is going to be a good game. There, there's also, is it... Uh, uh, San Francisco plays Seattle, like last game of the year or something yes, like that. Yeah. I mean, that, week 17. Oh, there's going to be a lot of great matchups there, going down the stretch. Remember here. in the past, there's been some week 17 that's like, man, like pretty mm-hmm. much everything is wrapped up and maybe the, a lot of playoff position battles here. It, not, not, not only playoff position, but yeah, like number one seed, yep. home field advantage. Uh, yeah, I've always liked the fact they do the last, at least the last week of the season, maybe the last two weeks of the season as your divisional opponents. I mm-hmm. think it's a great yep. uh, way to go because even, you know, even the Titans and the Jags stink, they still don't like each other. So people might show up <laughs> the game, you know what I mean? Right. So build the drama a little bit, a little bit. At least there's something to play. There's pride to play for, at least in week 17, and, and there should be some great matchups this year. And so that's my question, though, Sage, because you and I have spent a lot of time talking about how this system has enhanced Kirk Cousins, and we are seeing peak Kirk Cousins, even without Adam Thielen. His other receivers have stepped up and done a great job. Irv Smith, BC Johnson makes a great catch yesterday, so it hasn't just had to be BC Johnson, days. by the way, Colorado yeah. State, correct? Yeah, yep. Seventh rounder. Now I don't know. I, I I'd love to ask Rick Spielman this, but I'd love to know if Gary Kubiak or his son had much to do with that draft that's, pick. Yeah, because that's their area. That's well, Kubes is at least one, if not two, of his sons went to school there and played football. Oh, did they? Okay, and, I didn't and know that. And when he was at Colorado State, I think Kubes was was very close with the Colorado State. When he was at the Broncos, he mm-hmm. was close with the Colorado State head coach. Yeah. I, I feel like or something and. And uh, when I was with the Texans, we had four players from Colorado State. This is not a you know football factor. You go Rams, but yeah. <laughs> uh, we had Joel Dreesen, who was a quality tight end. We had a kid named David Anderson, who I think was a seventh round pick, a small little sort of Wes Welker type. Uh, he would say, and I'm not saying that just because he was white, but you know he was like the slot receiver and could occasionally punt, uh, return punts and things like that. We had a fullback, Cecil Sapp, uh, and we had an offensive lineman, Mike Brizel, who was an undrafted free agent, a couple years in the practice squad, and then ended up actually having a pretty nice career those Colorado State guys I've had very good luck with those types of guys and mm-hmm. the teams I was on they were like sort of high quality guys it seemed like they were hard workers uh and uh, obviously Coops has a fainted for them and and they got BC Johnson I don't, I don't again I don't know if he has anything to do with it but uh, that's been a really nice pickup uh you know a seventh round receiver I don't, he's not going to be Stefan Diggs I don't think any at any time soon but a guy that I could see on the roster for a while. It's always intelligence to me that when somebody makes it when they're not supposed to. Jarius Wright? Yeah. Is that, yep. that, yep. that, that, 
do they have a he's he's basically your Jarius Wright yeah. sort of, but, he's but what, bigger but he's bigger what, he's what they were missing last year last year when they tried to force Treadwell into playing all the time as opposed to every once in a while and if he's wide wide open maybe Kirk will throw it to him um, they needed that smart guy like Jarius Wright who wasn't the most physically gifted person of all time but could just get open run the right routes and had a knack for catching the ball when it came his way that's what BC Johnson has become well and that was I tell you what this kid's athletic I, I'd like to see you know I if they get, get him the ball more, maybe on a screen and open space, because we haven't really seen that. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to throw those screens to like Diggs or somebody yeah. else. But that was that was some serious athleticism to go up and snag that ball. It was a perfect throw. You, you work on that throw in practice all the time, high back, yep. the end zone. Sometimes it's right near the upright, uh, and that was a uh, obviously a good route to get some separation. And, and Kirk really put on the money. That's exactly what we need to throw because if somehow he drops it, then it's just a throwaway. But BC went up for that one. I'd like to. Uh, you know, see again, see the ball in his hands in the open field and see if he has any of that run after the catch type stuff that we see Diggs have all the time. So, my question though is let's say Thielen comes back and so BC is pushed into that Jerry Wright type role and you have Irv Smith playing well and Alexander Madison and all these other players who maybe you didn't know whether they would what step up. What a draft. Up. Yeah, right. It's worked out really, yeah. really well for them. So, my question is though, how are they going to perform? in these last three games when they face some good defenses? Because I've got it up right here. You know, I like this, that expected points added because I think it kind of tells the truth can you, about which you Can you explain that to everybody yep. again? It, it just compares your performance versus situation. And so if you're performing better than average by X number of, uh, uh, of yards, then that translates to what you would expect points out of that situation. Gotcha. So the, the easier way is... To say, let's say that the New England Patriots have the best pass defense in the league. It's been worth 125 points over what you would expect for them just on their defense alone. Where the Vikings has been 56 points against more than you would expect based on situations they've been in. And that puts the Vikings in the middle of the league. They're going to face the 17th ranked defense in the Chargers, the 10th ranked defense in the Bears, and, and this is wrong order, and the 12th in the Packers. So those are three at least either average Upper or half. above average. And we know Chicago has been a huge problem for them, and Green Bay was a problem for them in week two. So do the things that they've been doing against defenses that aren't great, like Seattle and Detroit, how do they translate to these last three games? I think we're going to learn a lot here. Well, I, I think also I think the Vikings have learned a lot about themselves. A lot. I, I think those first four games and this new offense and some of the details, and yes, you've been practicing in the summertime and training camp and some some preseason games for a few of the guys, but really you hadn't really gone against top-notch competition uh, you know, yet in an actual game. And I feel like uh, when you have a new offense, a lot of times you have little details that are, you know, somehow are, are missed or you don't do that in the actual games. And then you get actually get yelled at, like, you know, you're supposed to do this or, you know, it's like one of those things that you don't really know, uh, all the, all the holes until you actually play one of the games. Yes. And, and so it feels like to me, they've, they've ironed those wrinkles out, uh, after that first month. And so I'm really interested to see what they do against the Bears and the Vikings the second, or the Bears and the Packers the second time. But if I recall, they kept calling a lot of bootlegs versus the Packers and the defensive ends were up the field. Yep. And we couldn't do anything in the bootleg game. And, yep. we, and I think after the game, Zimmer said, or maybe it was Stefanski said, like, we should just run the ball more because they were mm-hmm. playing up the field and they called too many bootlegs. And, you know, is that something that we, they, they game plan around? And, and obviously that's going to be something to probably talk about going into the game, the upfield yeah. or the down the line defensive yeah. end. What, what is it going to be? And, and that's the key to the, to the whole football or, game. Or uh, sneak CJ Ham out there for a 30 yard. 
game. It's, right? it's the year of the, <laughs> year of the not, fullback. Not on not on third and ones though. The third and one CJ Ham yeah, is I not his best. CJ Ham, you got to get in the ball in open space. Ham in get, space. Ham in space on the flat. <laughs> ham ham in the flat. A <laughs> uh, few other things that I wanted to talk about because I went through this morning and just made a bunch of notes, uh, and you can read them at scorenorth.com about statistical things that popped out to me so you know just like kirk cousins and how he's played without pressure it's really been remarkable uh on the other side of that um with with cousins his deep throwing to stefan diggs has reached the point of uh i know the star tribune made this comparison of like culpepper to moss and no one's randy moss stefan diggs is not randy moss but no one's dante culpepper either come on now yeah that's an arm that's a big arm However, uh, right now, there's only one pep. Stephon Diggs is number one in the NFL in yards on deep passes, yards on passes that have gone over. And this is a league that loves to throw the ball down the field. It's a passing league, and he has more yards on passes that have gone over 20 yards than anybody else in the NFL. The accuracy on the deep stuff, and it goes back to that, you know, the Denver game, really, the bootleg to the left and. On that play, usually you're over a route, which is about 12 yards, crossing the field. A lot of times it's a tight end, but not necessarily. Uh, and then you have somebody maybe in the flat and then somebody on like a comeback route. Well, the fourth option is the backside post, and that's what Dig, Diggs was on that play. And, and Kirk flipped his hips around, set his feet, and, and threw an absolutely perfect pass. And that's not easy to a guy sprinting that far down the field to time it up just right. It's you know, it's like shooting a long three pointer mm-hmm. uh and you know, maybe a little bit off balance or whatever. So it was a p- absolutely perfect throw and he has hit him a number of times on just straight go go routes. You know, Diggs for not being a guy who's six foot three, six foot four, he catches a lot of these sort of what they call a fifty fifty ball, basically yeah. a go route versus bump and run coverage. He comes down with that it seems like seventy five or eighty percent of the time. And he came down with a big one yesterday. So he gets separation on those things. Obviously those posters they have a great connection on those deep balls. And again, when Kirk has had time, he has not missed very often. And yesterday, they they tried a they tried a sort of a double uh, a, a sort of a, a corner post um, uh, a deep ball that ended up being just sort of this incompletion. Diggs was about 15 yards short of it. He got sort of hung up on the free safety. He yes, wasn't yeah. sure. Kirk thought he was going to basically split the corner in the safety and go high. And I think last second, Diggs came underneath the safety and thought he was going to throw him across the field, but Kirk had to let go of it. But other than that, they've been on the same page uh, uh, big time on the deep balls this the second half of the season. Have you ever seen a receiver, because I can't think of a time where I have, who is catching 70% of the passes his way and averages almost 18 yards a catch? I mean, I don't even think Julio Jones... Had completion That's interesting. Yeah, the, that the, the two together, right? Your yards per catch, obviously, the the, the further the ball goes down the field, the, the usually the numbers go down. But man, seventy percent within eighteen yards per catch. I'd like to check out that stat as far as other players in, in recent history. That that's phenomenal. And we again, we talked about this this off season. We talked about ten yards per catch last year. You, you want to know the difference between different styles of from NFL to college to high school, the variety of offenses out there and how those uh, have a massive effect on stats uh, and how sometimes just passing yards or passing yards or mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. But the yards per catch, how the same player and with basically the same offense with the same quarterback has gone from 10 yards per catch to 18 yards per catch in one season uh, is absolutely phenomenal. So it, I'm going back year by year trying to find anybody who matches up with this, and I can't. I mean, even Julio Jones, 66% completion percentage, Deshaun Jackson, wait, 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 his best, what, what, 62%. What year was that? 
Julio Jones. Uh, that was 2016. Oh, interesting. Who was the coordinator? Uh, that was Kyle Shanahan. Oh, interesting. Yep. Same offense. offense. Yep, same offense. But I, I, I mean, I'm finding these guys who average. You have an Andre Johnson 16, in there somewhere? 17. I haven't gotten back that far. Um, but 16, 17 yards a catch. And usually the completion percentage is in the 50s or low 60s. It's very rare that someone is catching that number of passes. How about Allen Robinson a few years ago? 56% completion percentage, 17 yards per attempt. Mike Evans is in the low 60s. And and he's considered one of the best receivers in the NFL and a six foot five yep. go up and get it guy. It really tells you a lot in my mind about contested catchability and Stefan Diggs just ability to get open plus the scheme. A lot of these have been, oh, he's wide freaking open yeah. and the quarterback just needs to make the throw. Well, that's the thing is some the scheme and with the play action bootleg stuff again allows more time for the receivers to get further down the field. And if you just straight drop back past the receivers uh have to in a sense fight the secondary. They to fight the corners and the safeties to get open, but they also they have to fight the underneath coverage. The linebackers are in the way. Uh, but when you have the play action stuff, the bootleg stuff, you get them out of the pocket, or or when, even when they're in the pocket, now you really have to think the receivers are just trying to beat the, the secondary. The mm-hmm. linebackers are sort of out of the picture now. They're either going to run a high corner, uh, an in route, or a post route. But now they're they're going against secondary players, and corners are pretty good at playing the ball. By the way. Now, I don't know if this is a fact, but everyone wants to play receiver and running back growing up, right? And then a lot of people are like, I want to play safety and corner, <laughs> yeah, right? It ends right. up being the guys who can't catch as well. So, right. so how it yes. ends up working out a lot of times. So, so, so like corners don't catch as well as receivers and safeties definitely don't catch as well as receivers. Now, Harrison Smith might disagree with me on that, but there is a history of safeties not being great playing the football. And so a lot of times if you just get enough time and you let a really good receiver work down the field, if you just throw it, throw it up to him and give him a chance, in particular on a safety, many times they come down with that. And that, that was like the Randy Moss sort of rule back in the day is if Randy's up on the safeties or whatever, even if he's double teamed, there's a, he's a decent chance that because they won't play the ball as well, that Randy will just come down with it. And it seemed like he came down with it more often than not as well. So Randy Moss, by comparison, and you know he had some good quarterbacks and some not as good quarterbacks at times. But in his rookie year, he averaged 19 yards a catch. Completion percentage was 55 percent. So right now, Diggs is at 70 percent. At 70 percent, while averaging over 17 yards a catch. Randy Moss' highest ever completion percentage for his entire career was 64 percent, and that was when he only averaged 15 yards a catch. The 2007 only. New England was, Patriots. Uh, that was actually 2003, and in 2007, even playing with Tom Brady, 61 percent and 15 yards a catch, with of course 23 touchdowns. So what Diggs is doing is extremely rare, and I'm going to go through this even more about how historic it is to catch this so, percentage of passes. So, so running, do running backs have the highest like uh, uh, attempts per or catch per attempt or whatever of all sure, the position the groups? Tight usually? ends too, yeah. Tight yeah. ends, they're, they're, they get obviously I believe, they get better. I'll look it up. Kyle Rudolph's completion percentage throwing at him is like 80% yeah. or something because it's all usually 10-yard passes or at the goal line and he catches absolutely everything. By the way, I was thinking about this with I, I talked to Rudy a little bit after the game and met Tyler Conklin, haven't really you know, spoken with him very much, and talking about this offense as, yeah. a, as a tight end. Is there another tight end in the NFL other than, I don't know, George Kittle, I guess, or uh, maybe maybe Kelsey from 
from Kansas State that you'd like to have inside the ten yard line? Oh no, Other like Rudy Kyle is Rudolph? like the no. yeah he yeah, is the inside the, the ten. Yes, he is, yeah right. He is all pro uh-huh. inside the ten yard line tight end for sure. And there is serious value to that. Yep. Right. I mean, there's tight ends that can do things in, in the in the open or uh, you know sort of during the field of play. But mm-hmm. what's the most important as you get closer to the goal line to have a tight end that's a weapon like that? You know, really, really, really valuable to this football team. So how about this, uh, Kyle Rudolph, eighty five percent throwing to him this year, 84% last year, and Kirk Cousins has 138 quarterback rating when throwing to Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, throw it to Rudy more. we got to get Rudy the ball more. Well, that, that would tell me that they're using him exactly right. <laughs> like, that getting it to him in the red zone and just high percentage throws, Third second downs. half of the season. When After Adam Thielen went out, the biggest one of the biggest stories of the Minnesota Vikings is Thielen going out and the passing game continuing to succeed because everybody stepped up, including Kyle Rudolph. After the first couple of weeks, we we're like, Rudolph uh, is now Lee Smith, you know, the blocking tight end. Yeah. Like, is he, he's now he's now a blocking tight end. He's Jim Kleinsaucer or something. And and then over the second half of the season, he has consistently had a lot of catches, a lot of huge catches, some yeah. that shouldn't have been catches in the end zone where he's had to make a one-handed play and it's been a major the bo- the reason. bootleg was huge on the uh on the um uh on the comeback game against the Broncos yep. obviously he was pretty yep. much just wide, wide open, open but yep. you know it's interesting this offense cuz they've got so much depth at you know the running back position uh they play three tight ends you know what we have a the star receiver an all pro receiver has been out for a lot of this run really almost the whole run right what what was the game that he got hurt i'm that trying was, to think that uh, was at Detroit when he caught the touchdown pass in the back of the end zone. That's right. And then got re-injured against Kansas City on the first drive. And the first, yeah, one of the first plays of the game mm-hmm. right there. So, you know, it's amazing what this team has done because there's other, there's, there's great depth. They play three tight ends and, you know, Conklin's had a nice uh, couple catches here and there. He had a couple yesterday. Uh, but the way they run the football with the running backs, I mean, Madison with some, some really nice runs yesterday too. This offensive line has done a phenomenal job. Uh, it, it does struggle though, by the way. It, they do struggle when it's straight drop back pass uh-huh. sometimes. Yep. And Garrett uh, Bradbury had a tough day yesterday. He did too, and and uh, a couple of the guards had some some plays where they just get pushed back when it went straight drop back pass. Like sometimes those guys get put right in Kirk's lap, and there was there was a go ball. I think believe on the right hand side that was sort of overthrown. But I mean, Kirk went back there one two three, let it go, and there was guys on him mm-hmm. right after that. And there was not there was a four man rush on that play. It was not a blitz, uh, so it just guys just getting just straight pushed back into his lap. And you know that has basically been uh, the weakness of this offense for not just this year but in years past. And and they've done a great job of of minimizing those types of situations. Uh, but I feel like they're maximizing all the other you know talents of a lot of the players and the style of offense that they play. And that's going to be my biggest question over the final three weeks is how the offensive line holds up over teams that are just better than some of them that they've faced recently. Did you see this? Did you see the stat, by the way, on the weight of the offensive linemen? That they're, uh, what are they, the lightest? They are the the second, second lightest. lightest. 302. Who's the lightest? Uh, I'm going to guess San Francisco. San Francisco at 295. (laughs) It's amazing. Kubiak Shanahan style, man. So in that offense, though, the struggle has always been. The straight up drop back pass, the pass rush. That's what it's always been. I mean, to have guys that can really run and get guys out of gaps and reach players, they have to be smaller a lot of times and quicker. Mm-hmm. But you do give up something in the passing game. And that's why, um, Brown for, uh, I can't think of his first name for Seattle Seahawks left tackle. 
Uh, Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, he a teammate we had that he could do both. He yeah. was the guy that yeah, was so that was quick, but he was so strong that he could also hold up in the passing game. That's that's hard to have in in, in an NFL offense. Usually, you're one or the other. Okay, let's look at the path for the Vikings here, and it got a little more interesting last night because of the Los Angeles Rams. So I want to talk to you about that, and also. Defensive back rotation, Sage. It's in now. Let's uh, discuss when we return. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels in studio. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company? like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. A reminder, the Score North Podcast Network consists of more than a dozen shows from Purple Daily and Raised by Wolves to The Scoop with Doogie and Royce Unchained. You can find a full list of these Minnesota sports podcasts over at scorenorth.com and the Score North mobile app or just search score north skor north anywhere you find your podcast mike zimmer speaking to the media today after a win over the lions was asked whether they went with the cornerback rotation to exploit specific matchups here's what he said you know, it was just something we decided to do last week we may not do it this week um just, just uh felt like it was the best thing to do at this this point do you feel like it worked accomplished what you wanted to get accomplished maybe keep the pressure a little bit um yeah we played better um so you know, there was only like one or two things that during the course of the ball game that we did not do like they're being coached to do. So hopefully that continues to improve. Maybe take a little play to, uh, a little wear and tear. You know where they have to be thinking all the time off their plate. But um, I don't know. We'll see what this week holds. That's been your score on download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here on the show today in studio. Sage, uh, let's start there then with the defensive back rotation. To me, it was Zimmer waving the white flag saying, okay, all right, everybody, you got me. I can't scheme Xavier Rhodes' health to 100%. The only thing I can do for him is to try and take him off the field sometimes and make sure that he is fresher as the game goes along. And I, yes, 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 I should use our first-round pick from just a year ago who is, an, I think, an exciting young player. I, even though he had the one bad night in Dallas, I think Mike Hughes is is still a good player and they and they should be using him that way. Well, and obviously he's an explosive player because that's you know they have him as a kickoff or the punt returner. Yep. And that's a, a position of a guy has to be both quick and fast and he obviously is that. And I think he's shown that he's fully recovered. He got picked on when he had his sort of first shot this year, but uh, I think you know when you have an issue you you throw different guys at it and when when I think Xavier was he was 80th out of 82 cornerbacks yes. as far as quarterback rating against yes, or something correct. like that. Yep. So, Look I mean, you. Uh, you know, uh, there's, you know, you, you can't get too worked up in the whole stats thing. That seems yes, to be uh, an, an issue <laughs> there. You know what I mean? So you got to try other players if you have other players out there. And, and uh, you know, they tried some different guys yesterday. And Mike Hughes got some more time. Holton Hill was mm-hmm. in there. Yep, a little bit with a guy we've sort of talked about. You know, they're going to sprinkle him in a little bit and see if he can improve. And, well, uh, are they expecting Xavier to play this week? He has a maybe a lower leg injury. We won't like know until Friday. 
look like a thigh kick. I don't kick talk about injuries. Or a leg kick injury or something like that. Look like on the interception uh, with Harrison Smith. But uh, you know what? We'll see. We'll see how uh, this DB lineup sort of unfolds. The story unfolds over the course of the next couple of weeks. So it was probably six weeks ago that I wrote, They've got some options here. Usually, if you have a starting cornerback playing poorly, your only option is to just try and scheme, to give him a little help, give him an extra safety, but then there's a domino effect to that where now all of a sudden other things don't work as well if you're dedicating a safety to helping your struggling corner. The Vikings are in a situation, as you have noted before, where they have poured a lot of resources into these corners. So they're one of the few teams, probably in the entire NFL, that could say, yeah, our number three and four guy, they could actually probably be starters on half of the league. And so is Mackenzie Alexander, he's just a slot corner. Just a nickel. Like, yep. he can, they, they would never put him out. So uh, he hasn't really played that role since college, where he would be an outside corner. I do think he could do it, but he's been training. He's been, been that grooming. slot yes. guy. Because he's when, a good little tackler. He's a feisty yep, little guy yep. in there. But there are definitely, it's interesting, there are definitely that's why football is so amazing. There's sort of a there's a position for almost every type of person, basically. For really big people and for little small guys. Uh, but if the smaller you are, the quicker you better be. Yeah, and, yep. uh, but in, and so in, in the, even in the cornerback position, there's outside corners and inside corners. And he doesn't nice job in there but uh yeah he's not a guy that doesn't seem he's like third or fourth in line probably to be yeah. the next outside corner yeah. on this roster I, I think a lot of things would have to go wrong for him to move outside and then you might move J. Ron curse in but i think J. Ron curse is another guy that they could play more often as they try to solve some of these issues against the pass and that's where yesterday zimmer's talking about yeah well we did a lot of things right it was against the Lions. So let's see it against Rivers. Let's see it against Aaron Rodgers. I think this is the right process, though. Continuing to send out Xavier Rhodes to play him 60, 70 snaps a game, I don't believe was the right process for this point in his career. Yeah, well, maybe fewer snaps and more high, more quality on those snaps. Yeah. You know, those, and, and running those situations, those, too. He's still a great tackler. He, he's a very good tackler. And yeah, maybe they, they take him off the field on, on certain situations. Even maybe just during uh, an actual uh, sequence, they want him a little bit more on first and second down. Down, but maybe on third down they take him off the field or, yeah. or, or vice versa. I don't know, but maybe fewer snaps will be better. They, they get more quality instead of quantity out of Xavier Rhodes. So another area to point out where they may have solved some issues that they had and didn't really have a resolution to early in the season is the interior pass rush, where you lose Sheldon Richardson to free agency, you can't afford to keep him around with your salary cap, you lose Tom Johnson to just being 35 years old and um, presumably retired. I haven't talked to Tom about whether he's officially retired or not. But uh, they tried to bring in Hercules Mata'afa. They tried to bring in Jalen Holmes and move him from defensive end to defensive tackle. It isn't super often that you see players that you draft at one position be really successful at another position at the highest level. Uh, and with Mata'afa, he's so undersized that he can't really get much push against NFL um, guards and, and centers. So we didn't see much success from him. So now Afadi Adenabo and Steven Weatherly have been the guys that they're putting in there. And Adenabo played his career high in snaps yesterday with 42. Jaleel Johnson continues to rotate in after he did a good job replacing Linval Joseph. I think that these were issues that we were talking about quite a bit. Like, oh, quarterbacks can really step up in the pocket with no interior pass rush that are starting to be resolved as the season goes along. And Sage, I think this is just a sign of good coaching. I, I wanted to talk about Zimmer today because when I watch the Detroit Lions play and I've looked at their season, that is one of the worst coached football teams in the NFL. Like, they should be a good team. They've got talent. They spent a bunch of money on defense. They've got 
when I sort of like the receivers, by the, the way. The receivers are great. <laughs> guys, Galladay, guys. Galladay and Jones are a great combination. Yeah. They drafted a very good first round uh, tight end. They have good yeah, offensive Hot, linemen. Hutchinson, Hawkinson, Hawkinson from yeah. Iowa. He is he's on injured reserve, I believe. And, That's what he didn't play yesterday. And yet, but he's been playing most of the season, and and yet they haven't gotten a ton out of him. And you're. Three wins. I mean, three wins. Three wins. You bring in this alleged defensive genius. He loses the locker room right away. He does zero to improve your defense. The Vikings, I think, should be thrilled if he continues to be their head coach. But also on the same side of that, when we talk about Zimmer, and I'll get a tweet after every single loss, they should just fire Zimmer. It's like, well, well, push the brakes a little bit because you want to see bad coaching? Look over there. That's an alleged super genius. He is aerospace engineer some crap. Who cares? He can't coach for nothing. And your team under Mike Zimmer, consistently relevant, and we go into the final stretch as a competitor for the what year in a row. Yeah, and, and uh, it, it does seem like almost all of the Belichick disciples are like VHS versions of the DVD copy <laughs> yes. or something yes. like that. Uh, they're, they're always, it seems like they always upset the players. Like the players don't mm-hmm. like them right away. It's like, who is this guy? And I, it always seems to be the same story. It's like, well, you know, Belichick has this no nonsense approach, but the problem is that he's won so much that no one's ever going to question it. So you yep. come into some new franchise and, you know, you're, you have the Belichick way. Well, people are like, nah, like you, what, what have you done? Like, you know, you, you're the defensive coordinator for the greatest defensive coach of all time. Great job. You know, so you always get like the VHS copy and it looks like, I wonder if he'll get a third year. Maybe, that might have been. I was thinking during the game. This might be a Kevin Stefanski, uh, uh, you know, resume builder for for the franchise that could hire him. You know, this off season. So, so there was a report from the Boston Globe that Detroit is considering being patient with Patricia. But I would watch a game like yesterday and go. In first quarter, you your team is undisciplined and commits a couple of terrible fifteen yard penalties, and you have after the game Darius Slay basically saying, "I don't care if he's the coach or not." I mean, that's, yeah, that's, well, your, that's it, one of your best players. Well, you, you expect the offense to play bad. They're down to their third or fourth quarterback at this right. point or whatever. But you expect the defense. I mean, the Vikings came out right off the bat and it was like boom, 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 yep. boom, move yep. the ball, some some nice seven eight yard runs right on that first drive, and you know that that's supposed to be the specialty of the other football team. Mm-hmm. And it definitely was not uh, yesterday. So we'll see how far Matt, Matt uh, Patricia will go as the, the Lions head coach. I'm, the longer he's there, probably the happier the Vikings fans. That's exactly uh, be, what right? I wrote after the game. Um, I wrote after the game, you should root for this guy to keep his job. Yeah, because sure. if he stays there and Trubisky and Nagy stay in Chicago because they beat Detroit a little, how ironic. Yeah, the longer uh, the better. Two man race yeah, again ho- next year and, and for the foreseeable future. And hopefully, Chili's the senior offensive consultant <laughs> as, as long as possible in this division for another football team. Team. I do like a Odenid bow. By the way, I liked how he has played uh, over the course yes, of this season. I I, you know, it's one of those yep. guys like, man, 95 keeps showing up. He's had some clutch sacks, too. Yep. Fourth quarter plays that have been nice. And Jaleel Johnson uh, has done a really nice job on that inside. And, you know, this team got pushed around a little bit, you know, two weeks ago uh, by the Seattle Seahawks as far as, uh, you know, running yards against them. And, and uh, they didn't get pushed around yesterday. That, that defensive line was dominant. And obviously, you know, D- Daniil Hunter uh, is just, uh, it's, it's interesting how most teams have the best pass 
pass rusher on the quarterback's left side, uh, where, which is Everson Griffin's spot. Uh, and, you know, because the right side, you have to be a little bit more of a run stopper, more, more, more tight end a lot, but a lot of times to the right and teams like to the run to the right more. So usually the other defensive ends more sort of the run stop oriented guy. A lot of times he's in what they call a six technique, which isn't, which isn't as, uh, advantageous for, for, uh, straight pa- uh, pass rushing mm-hmm. as the other side. And so the fact that he's putting up those stats that he has from the, from the probably more challenging in some ways of the two defensive end spots uh, is phenomenal. So that that defensive line was obviously big yesterday. I think after yesterday's game, he has a very good case for defensive MVP. He leads the NFL in quarterback pressures. The next best guy is seven behind him. That's Zedarius Smith from Green Bay, who's a great player. He has 12 and a half sacks. That's fourth in the league. And uh, he is on pace to match Khalil Mack's uh, uh, height of pressures for a season. Khalil Mack reached 96 in 2016, which is just uh, preposterous. And uh, yet, if he has a couple of good weeks here, he could get in that same ballpark. I think that is totally defensive MVP level play. And I think it's fascinating, Sage, how the dominoes kind of fall from Everson Griffin, where uh, I asked Daniil this yesterday, like, how does everybody else help you on that defensive line? So you have Everson requires someone to chip him. But if you're chipping him, you can't be chipping Daniil Hunter. And when they put a tight end on Daniil Hunter, it's just mind blowing. Well, like, so, well, so really, how does this? How does anyone scheme that up for a for a play that would have been scripted and say, yeah, we'll be fine with Jesse James okay, blocking Daniil Hunter? So that scheme, by the way. That actually, that, that match. Which is why your coach should be fired. Yeah. Well, well, no, but it's schemed by the Vikings. So what happened on oh, that I play see. was, I, I, cause I looked at that play this morning. Uh, they basically want to have a seven man protection. They were just kind of the three receivers go out in a route. It was third down. Yeah. Uh, I believe on that play. And what you're expecting is that tight end, he has to block the defensive end. But not all by himself. A lot yeah. of times the tackle yeah. uh, can help him if the defense then makes an inside rush. The tackle then is there to help out. or And or a running back a lot of times will even chip the tight end's position knowing he's the weak link of the offensive line in that, in that situation on his way out into some sort of pass pattern. What the Vikings did is they did the double A gap type of deal so that the tackle had to stay on the inside and come down and help out that guard because the guard was going to squeeze then. So then mm-hmm. the tackle comes down to his guy. The running back then had to block a, 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 a blitzing uh, nickel will or whatever from the, I think it was Mackenzie, Mackenzie Alexander from the other side, right. which then yes, creates this yep. situation where the mm-hmm. tight ends by himself. And that is uh, a sort of your the way you can scheme a one on one versus a matchup that you like. So a team can't uh, uh, you know ha- have a run. It's like if you're if you're um, guarding the running back and man to man, and he's going to chip. Basically, you blitz knowing that he then has to block me, right. so then he can't, so he chip. can't chip. So now right. the defensive end is one on one with the left tackle. And and this is one of the reasons that I think Zimmer has been so effective, and how. Um, player situation matters to their success so much that Daniil Hunter getting with a defensive mind like Zimmer, getting with other talent that they have there has helped him be set up to have this success. And my gosh, he has had as much success as anyone ever has. And Stephon Diggs on offense uh, to have. uh, Same thing. It's interesting. Diggs has 56 catches last year. He had 102. So if you're like, if you just went off catches, Mm -hmm. that's sort of like that Kirk Cousins uh, conversation from yesterday about, you know, completion percentage or whatever. It's like, well, number of catches means a lot of things. Things, but he had just over a thousand yards receiving last year, and he's about to pass a thousand yards in this upcoming game, and yet he has way fewer catches, right? Yep. So yards per attempt, uh, yards per catch, and all those things are obviously have, the, have the, a, huge, a huge impact on that. So it, it, coaching in the NFL, 
I think more than way more than the NBA, uh, way more than college basketball. Uh, I, I think even more in than in college football in a lot of ways, at least from an X's and O's and strategy standpoint. That that type of coaching in the NFL makes a bigger difference than coaching in any other sport in any other league, high school, college, or pro. Yeah, I totally agree, and that's where I circle back to whenever we talk about hot seats and things like that. Make sure you consider the whole picture of the amount of success that you've had and where you can go individual to individual. This is why Diggs has had success, because they got the right people calling the plays. This is why Hunter has had success, in part, their talent is number one, but in part because they've been put in situations to have success. And the fact that these guys wanted to sign contracts to stay here, the fact that they came back to be with this coach again, it says a lot about what you've created as a franchise. And then you look at other places around the NFL and go, oh, man, well, that, that team thought that they needed a better this or that and look at them now. I think about it almost in the same way I think about kickers. Dallas just cut their kicker today. They cut Dan Bailey. He was one of the best kickers he, of all time, and they just cut him. He's missed two kicks this year, by the way. I didn't realize he was having a, yep. having a good year. He's, he's missing yeah. some extra points, but he's he's had a really, really good year. And that one yesterday, right down the middle, that was probably his best kick in you know two years as far as that thing was. 50 yards? was flush. It was straight, and it was 50 yards, and he probably had an extra six or great seven hold. yards on it. Must have been a great hold. Absolutely. <laughs> Starts with a good snap, but then it takes a great hold for there to be a great kick. Uh, let's talk about the route here for the Vikings, because after last night with the Rams, things got really interesting. I was kind of feeling like, okay, Seattle will probably beat the Rams, and then we won't have to talk about this anymore. Then it could be all about playoff positioning and matchups. But now the Rams have depending on how you feel about playoff percentage chances, but basically a one-in-three chance to get into the playoffs. If the Rams win two out of their last three and the Vikings lose two out of their last three, Rams are in because they have a tiebreaker over the Vikings. Don't ask me exactly how, but that's what Al Michaels said, and I believe him. So somebody else did this, and the playoff machine says that, so I believe the playoff machine on ESPN. Once you get into weird uh, you know, division records... There's a slightly like larger team part, yeah. of, uh, of information finders with Al Michael's staff yes, than there is what here. you have here. We yeah. basically have Jonathan, and he's mostly sound finder and guest booker. Uh, that's that's the, not statistical analyst. Your that's stats, actually supposed to be me. Your stats are your own, as they <laughs> yeah. say. It's like, yes. it's, like, it's like Twitter. My, my thoughts are, my tweets yeah, are my yeah, own. Yeah, that's right. Something. Then uh, retweets aren't endorsements. Um, so we're going off that Al Michaels says if the Vikings lose two out of three. And the Rams win two out of three. So if they end up with the same record, the yeah. Rams are in, the Vikings are out. And looking at the opponents, the Chargers are no gimme. That's for sure. They just kicked the hell out of Jacksonville yesterday. So no gimme. On the road, on grass, the Vikings have had problems in those situations. And a quarterback who might go to the Hall of Fame. So even though I don't think they're a great team, it's still a good team that could beat you. And since Chase Daniel and Matt Moore beat you this year, I can't trust you entirely. Man, oh man. Isn't that amazing? It is, yeah, that that those two guys on grass, on the road, same thing, and that's one to kind of throw up the caution flag. And, of course, Aaron Rodgers and then the Chicago defense so, should so make based you off nervous. these last two games, you would almost say like this game is a must win. Oh, it's I mean, huge. to take to yeah. take the pressure off yep. and to take the anxiety off for weeks. I mean, if you're thinking we have to beat Green Bay and we have to beat Chicago, that's going to be a stressful Christmas holiday uh, into the new year because those are going to be very very close ball games and and this should be a good game too. So it's I'm you're, I'm glad you get to go out there and and to get a little bit of sun and uh, and, and cover this football yes, game. So I'm excited about that. I'll be doing some stuff from there. By the way, the, by the way the can I just make sure I, I said that right? I might have said it wrong. If the Vikings 
lose two out of three and the Rams win two out of three. Okay. Okay. So make sure, making sure. Because we're one game ahead of them. Yes, exactly. On. So if they end with the same record, then it goes to the Rams. To the Rams. Yes. So we, have, so we need to win two out of three yes. at the end here. By the way, that NFC West, for as bad as the NFC uh, East is with the Cowboys at six and seven, uh, the, and the Eagles at five and seven. Um, the NFC West, 49ers 11 and two, Seahawks 10 and three, Rams eight and five. I mean, that is absolutely no fun. It is, uh, to play in that division this year. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, the, those teams are going to be battle tested when they get the playoffs. That's for sure. So here's what Los Angeles has coming up. And you can tell me after last night where they really kicked the heck out of Seattle and with Robert Woods back in the lineup, they're a different team when they have their receiving weapons. Robert Woods is a great, great player and he was really good last night. So let's assume they're full strength down the stretch. They, they got some guys that can fly. They really do. And, and Cooper Cup is a good player too, but he can't do it on his own. Woods, Brandon Cooks. Gur- Gurley was good last Gurley, night. Yeah, he, looked, he actually looked like old Gurley. Old right? Gurley, yeah. So they play at Dallas, at San Francisco, and home against Arizona. It's gonna If it comes down to like the Vikings have to beat... Chicago. Doesn't it feel like that though? And they have to like we they have to lose to Arizona or something. It's like Arizona's gonna screw the Vikings again. I'm telling you. It's like the Josh <laughs> McCown two thousand two game. Right. Only the opposite where Arizona will get trucked by, yes, by the, the Rams. Rams. Um but uh, th- these two games, if you split them between the Chargers and the Packers, that's why this game is so huge against yeah. the Chargers. Because if you win this one, then all you have to do is is split one of the last two, yeah. and you're good to go. You're in the playoffs, more likely than not, because the Rams having to go to San Francisco is going to be really, really tough for them. But if if they somehow pull out a win there... You are in a situation where you could lose out on a playoff spot here. So I, I want to know: Did you see something different from the Rams, or is this just a great job by McVay fixing their problems? Because a couple of weeks ago, they looked like they were dead in the water after the Ravens put up forty something points against them. Well, you know, they did add a cornerback. You know, we talked about this last week they about did, two yeah. first rounders. A cornerback with, that you said who needs him? <laughs> a cornerback without a contract. That's what you have. Yes, you have a cornerback yeah, without a true. contract, and you have no f- first rounders for the next two years. So you know what? He better make. I'm not saying that Jalen Ramsey wasn't a great player and wouldn't, wouldn't add a lot to the Vikings' defense if they would have had trade for him. But two first rounders with no contract, I don't make that deal. Yeah, uh, and, no, I, and I, I agree with you. I don't like uh, you know um, selling my future that much. I think sometimes you you have to give up a second rounder. You really need a guy, but two first rounders is a ton for a team that's already spent four first rounders on that very same position, right? So uh, I just think that's a lot, but. To help out for this season, yeah, Jalen Ramsey's great, and he played well yesterday. He made a couple of plays uh, uh, last night, and and uh, so for this season, it's uh, it's you know they're they're gonna they can make a run here, but they got a that that division's tough, and obviously they're gonna be playing on the road if they do make the playoffs uh, in the first round. I still think you could have talked me into it, uh, Philly. But, actually, way, but better record has the home game is are you under are you on that what team are you on oh, you, you win the I division mean, you I, play home game or better record home game I am with this wild card stuff i am a hundred percent on the nfc east winner shouldn't even make the playoffs <laughs> because that's a joke no one's that's no one's sold joke. that one yet no i know one's tried to and bring that's that one up. silly that no one has brought this up if you're a team under, that if, goes eight and eight and everybody else is ten and six they just shouldn't be in it is, is eight and eight or seven and nine i think if you're under 500 you you cannot no one makes the like playoffs automatically the disqualified automatically yes I just don't like the the divisions are cool for rivalries for for scheduling 
Like, oh, yeah, we got to make sure that you build up the hype when it's Bears and Vikings. That's great. Or Packers, Vikings. Let's make sure the well, regional want, teams hate each well, other. You, you want regional people just to not like each other. Like right, New Yorkers yeah. and Philly. Like Absolutely. You just, you know, it's, it's, Wouldn't it's change like, that at all. Yeah, it's but, like it uh, goes back to the, the the days of the villages and where we, we hate <laughs> the people that are so close to us because uh, uh, we, we fish in the same ponds yes, or something. Yes, yes. Uh, if anyone asks me about Warsaw High School, bleep them. Okay, bleep the go. Tigers. Anyway, so uh, definitely it's cool to have rivalries, all right? But I, I don't think you should get rewarded so much for winning against a bunch of other piles of junk. Oh, good for you. You beat Washington a couple of times. Congratulations. You get a home playoff game. Home playoff games just mean too much to give them to teams who end up with 7-9 and nine or 8-8 eight and eight out, of, out of pure ridiculous luck that the other teams in the division are trash. The fact the Cowboys are 6-7, and seven, and I think they've got a pretty good roster, and I like Prescott as a quarterback. He's leading the league in offense a couple weeks ago, yeah. and I thought their defense had the D-line was impressive versus the Vikings, and I thought they got some good players out there, and for them, them missing Van Der Esch as much as they've missed him has really hurt. Hurt. He's obviously a very, very good player, sort of a tackle machine. But uh, you know, the, the, the fact that they're six and seven, you have to look at coach, and you got to imagine this is the end of the road. Uh, you know, for Jason Garrett, yes. the worst. And very awkward for their players because there's a bunch of reports out like they're going to look at Urban Meyer and things like that. Like, okay, yeah, it's already so. By the way, the, if somehow, if somehow the Bears make the playoffs, oh man, I'll be so upset. <laughs> it's like because I've just been sort of down on the whole Nagy, <laughs> Nagy more than Trubisky. Like I'm always like, how would Mitchell Trubisky do in this offense? I, you know, I, I think obviously he'd be pretty good. Yeah, he, they would do. They would run 15 bootlegs a game or whatever. But uh, you know, I just think that 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 offense they have in Chicago. I've seen enough film this year. I'm like, man, what are they doing over there? Like that, they just ran this jet mm-hmm. sweep and there's nobody out in front and there's a corner just sitting there and there's no one there to block him. Like that's terrible coaching. I don't know what what's going on here but there's no one blocked the force player that's pretty simple uh as far as trying to have an effective offense and they they do that seems like like two or three times a game like what are they what are they trying to design here because that's a that's a a, a really nice play run against the worst defense possible and they'll do that well i i would say that uh when you have that feeling that something you've been criticizing and talking about could go completely against you welcome to media yeah, yeah. i mean it happens all the time where you're, you've got logic and you've got a good process and you think, yes, this is my conclusion. This is the take I'm going with. And then sports, they get you. But I, but I've tried to make this off of like, you know, I try to, I try to be patient. I try to sort of jump to conclusions too quickly and, but oh, he's terrible or he's the worst or he's the best. I try to do that to sort of, you know, see how a career plays out as, especially like a young quarterback. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a guy's bad in his first year or so. I'm not going to say he's going to be terrible because I was awful my rookie year and then just slowly got better and better. And you actually can improve, you know, with like good coaching and the off season and, and real work as, as a, you know, with pro coaching, you can actually get better. But in the Nagy situation, I feel like I've just seen so much and I've been so unimpressed by a lot of what they do mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, now if I, for a year and a half, all of a sudden they get super hot and they win a whole bunch of football games to get the playoffs, it would, it, that would drive me crazy. But, but if you talk about the stats, I mean, the stats of Trubisky for the whole year have been terrible. The last few weeks have been much better, but they're still not all that great. They're still yeah. like in the twenties or something and they, like that. And they've played some not impressive some, yeah, teams. Yeah, not, not which great teams. Always and, helps you look better. Uh, well, I'll give you mine. Before the Buffalo game last year, I was like, I don't know, point one percent chance Buffalo beats the Vikings. 
And they did, because that's football for I you. I think so. that, you know, the Vikings, you know, they, they weren't going to lose yesterday, but there are, you know, a lot of teams can lose to pretty much anybody. It's just sort yep. of the way it is. And, uh, you know, the, again, you know, Kirk did say that last week, you know, both, they, they're paid a lot of money over there. Yep. And, uh, that's an organization who's got a lot of good athletes and, and those guys are getting paid too. And, and just because their record's not great doesn't mean that we couldn't lose to them. And that is very true about the NFL more than, I said, more than college football, oh, more than high sure. school football. Yes. Uh, there's not the, the mismatch, the difference isn't that that much in the NFL. Sage Rosenfels on every Monday and Wednesday. Great to have you in Sage and uh, it's going to be fun going down the stretch here talking with you a couple of times a week. We'll take a quick break. Judd Zolgad is going to come in next and we have a Patriots related controversy that we need to discuss before we get back to talking about the stretch that the Vikings are going to be facing. So we will do that. Make sure uh, you follow the first uh, hour or uh, not follow it, but uh, go look it up. A podcast, if you didn't catch any of it, um, Purple Daily, just type it in. It'll come up, and you can listen to it. All right, we'll be right back. Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. First and goal at the nine-yard line. And looking to the end zone. And... Yeah, there was a lot of separation there coming out of my fake. You usually don't expect someone to be so open in the red zone, but you also was aware of that undercut by the defensive back who was in trail position getting underneath him. So the ball was a little higher than I would have liked, but it also prevented the DB from being able to undercut it. And uh, great job by BC climbing the ladder and getting it. And a great job getting that open, you know, where uh, I was able to, uh, to just work him number one because he was so open. All right, back here on Purple Daily, we will get to all of those things about yesterday's game and what it means and the playoff race. And I want to talk more about the Los Angeles Rams and how strong we think they are with Judd Zolgad. But first, Zolgad, we've got some big news a brewing in the National Football League. The uh, Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor, was asked in a press conference today about a Patriots employee videotaping their play calls. And he said, no comment, but acknowledge they are aware of that. And now the league office is investigating the New England Patriots for having someone videotaping their play calls in their last game. First of all, I am stunned. I can't believe it. The New England Patriots cheating in this economy? Shocking. Did you see the news, though, that I see they've passed along to Schefter and also Ian Rappaport uh, trying to claim that it was the Cleveland Browns, the credentialed photographer who was shooting something on a Patriots advance scout for a series that the Patriots stream called Do Your Job. I'm not kidding you. And so at the Cleveland Browns the Cleveland, Cincinnati Bengals game. Yes, because the advance scout was there to provide information on the Bengals. Oh. Okay. And so what the Patriots are um telling the national media is, "Hey, this was for our PR purposes. We were not cheating and in fact the person was mm, only sure, supposed to yeah. be only supposed to be filming the advance scout." Doing his job because Belichick likes to say, do your job. Their explanations are better than their crimes. Yes. I mean, how about the guy who deflated footballs and they called him the deflator yes. and Brady was like, it's because he's fat. And then he's getting skinny. Deflated like his body, not like those footballs that were proven to be <laughs> deflated. Nothing like that. And how about, I still want to know why Roger Goodell destroyed the tapes 
of the New England Patriots videotaping their opponents, I think because there was so much there to prove that's why they won that first Super Bowl, that they were like, oh, this can never get out. we got to burn these. But then he got them on the back end with Deflategate. Yes. Because that went way too far. Yes, it did. Right. It wasn't that That became ridiculous that, that, yeah. that they took Brady to court, vice versa. Yes. They fought that up for how long? Two years? It was a long time. And then it's just he like, finally did sit out four games. Okay. I will give you my favorite, and I have not heard this from anyone else, but it's my favorite personal current NFL conspiracy theory. All right. Do you want to hear it? Sure. NFL officials have been told at every point post the bounty game, screw the Saints if you can. Mm. Okay. What about the Patriots who seem to be not getting the same level of bounces from the refs as they used to? Mm -hmm. How about yesterday? Two very bizarre calls Mm -hmm. going opposite of them since Robert Kraft and Roger Goodell maybe not on the best... Uh, of terms anymore. I love that because this is why. It would have been very easy on guy inbounds, out-of-bounds touchdown to call that a touchdown and then be like, let's go look at it. If we're wrong, we'll find out. But instead, they say no touchdown. Belichick has no reviews left, no challenges left. Uh, I don't... uh, Yeah, they could have... And the same thing with the fumble. Yes. This year, they have been, yes. and, and this started with the Saints, they they have been um, looking at all those fumbles after. Like, let the guy return it for a touchdown, mm. let the play keep going, yes. and then call it back later. In fact, this happened between the Patriots and the Ravens, where there was a fumble, they picked it up, they ran back for a touchdown, then they reviewed it after and found, okay, it was a fumble. But initially, it was very close. But on this one by Travis Kelsey, they said, oh, no, end of play, end of play, mm-hmm. when the Patriots could have completely changed that game by bringing it back. I've also seen the touchdown rule the touchdown when it's close, and then they go back and look at every scoring play and could have easily said, oh, no, his knee was actually down. Correct. So to go the opposite way against the Patriots that have been a team that's long gotten some very bizarre calls in that building is a little bit shady. And you do have to wonder with the Saints, if even if they haven't been told this, that they all together went, oh, man, bleep that team. And every call, literally every important call that I can think of in the past two or three years, has gone against the Saints. Yes. Like, what's the last call that you remember thinking, man, the Saints got a fortunate break there? I'm sure it's happened, but in the biggest games, they seem to get ones that go against them. So that will be interesting to see if anything comes out of it, because the NFL uh, has not gone light on the Patriots, and I'm sure would love to be able to come down on them hard again if they were indeed videotaping. And Just a documentary. I mean, if you're the Patriots, though, and you're just doing a documentary, don't you have the conversation <laughs> in the building, and you go to Bill, and you're like, yeah, we're doing this do-your-job thing, and uh, we're going to videotape another team's employees doing uh, play calls is that cool like wouldn't someone say yeah. uh hey we were the ones that got caught videotaping we should be more careful about this and not do that of course they would so i don't buy that at all and i think the explanation sounds hysterical oh it's it's fantastic but yeah i i do love though how they immediately call rapaport and Schefter on, oh, yes. on speed yes. and be like oh yeah oh no 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 this is for our in-house documentary but you're right. The team that was caught doing this very thing and created a hailstorm, right, is now going to come back and be like, oh, let's just try this again. But this time it's a document. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah, sure it is. I'm with you. Uh, all right, let's talk about last night's game first because with the Vikings game yesterday, a few takeaways, but 
Nothing that's blowing my mind after a 20-7 to win that could have been easily much, much more had the Vikings kept the gas on. And I've already made fun of Matt Patricia enough in the first hour and how the Detroit Lions are You and are Sage made shape. fun of Matt Patricia? We I can't did. imagine yeah. you went after Matt Patricia. Great, great time. I had a pencil in my ear and I was pretending to be an astrophysicist and an idiot. So uh, it was fun. Anyway, um, Los Angeles watching them last night. If they win two out of three, the Vikings lose two out of three. Los Angeles is in. If you're a Vikings fan and you have watched any Vikings ever, you're probably going, oh, no. Oh, no. Not this. Not a situation that's obvious for how we could be knocked out. (laughs) When you go to Los Angeles, not easy. You play the Packers, not easy. You play the Bears, they have your number. Not easy. Uh, That Los Angeles team, though, does have to play at San Francisco. The other two games, very winnable against Dallas and against Arizona. And they could even, we see this all the time where a team has this great game and we all decide they're the best team ever, like Houston. And then they pull a stinker and they surprise you. Well, it wouldn't shock me if even the 49ers got beat by Los Angeles. What do you think it is that Los Angeles figured out over the last few weeks? Because they looked not good. They looked great last night. Yeah, which is bizarre because as good as Baltimore is, in the game they played Baltimore, the primetime game, the Rams looked like they were completely lost. They were outclassed in every facet of that game. And I said to myself, this is a dead team. Come back last night, play Seattle, look really good. A couple things. One is, it sounds like in the past, I don't know, two or three games, that Gurley has become more involved again, which is probably important. Now, my question would be, is this a long-term solution? Because he does have the knee problem. Is this going to be great for two or three weeks? And then he's going to have played too much, and he's going to start to go backwards. But I do think right now that that's probably an important step that they've got him involved again. The other thing, and I can't decide what to make of this guy because I just don't know, because sometimes he looks completely lost, and sometimes he looks really good. Jared Goff. Like, has Jared Goff found something now? Is Jared Goff being coached properly and led around by McVeigh? Is Jared Goff now going to go out in the next game and completely stink? Uh, the other thing that I love, and this is where the Vikings will rue the day, they did not do this, though, is... So I watched a combination of the Rams, Seahawks, and the Wolves, Lakers last night. And every time I flip to the Rams game, guess Matthew Collar whose name I didn't hear, not because he wasn't good, because they didn't throw near him. Who's that? Jalen Ramsey. Oh, Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey. And the Hill kid had a good game. He did. You know why? It's because of all the stuff that you talked about where Trey Waynes, when Rhodes was great, previously looked good. You can slide him safety help. The matchups are favorable, right? All of those things. So my big question is, Back to your point, though, of of is this the Rams now or was the Baltimore game more like them is the quarterback. And I can't decide there. But I do have a feeling uh, that this is not going to be simple. I do have a feeling now that these last three games for the Vikings, the Rams, and the entire conference are going to be great fun. Yes. I think yesterday was the last like sort of in-week buy, in-game buy. Yep, yep. The way that... Things are shaping up for almost everybody is interesting, and nobody has a easy schedule in the entire NFC. At least one out of the three games for every team that's fighting for a spot, and in the Vikings' case, in my mind, it's two with Chicago Week 17. I don't care if Chicago loses their next two I think games. The Chargers game, Matthew, is tough too. I I agree. I, I'm I think in on that all game. All three now. aren't all three aren't easy. 
But at least with the Chargers, they have a bad record and you should beat them. And they don't have this super dominant defense that you're afraid of. The Bears defense has been really good this year. It's just that their offense has been problematic uh, more than it was last year. And we know the Bears just have this way, probably because of Khalil Mack, but also Akeem Hicks is healthy again. They have this way of dominating the Vikings' offensive line. And if you can stop the run with basically four people, that gives you a massive advantage. And we know when Kirk Cousins gets pressured up the middle, gets more anxious, he starts throwing off his back foot, and then it's just downhill from there, and it becomes you lose three straight games to the Bears in the Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky era. That's one you should always be nervous about. They should win it. But it's not a reason to just write it in as a W. They're still above 500 at this point. They don't have an easy stretch. I don't think the Bears will be competing for a playoff spot at that point. I'm looking at it entirely as Rams versus Vikings. And if the Rams can beat San Francisco, they can win the other two games against Dallas and against Arizona. Then you're looking as the Vikings at needing to win all three of these games to even get in the playoffs. And it went through my mind today, and I... In a way, I don't want to ask the question yet, but in a way, I feel like I have to. If they finished 10-6 and six and missed the playoffs, what do we do with that? What are we supposed to do with that type of season? The NFL has set us up to have this conversation importantly because of us, its stupid playoff system. What, what do the Wilfs do about that? Because if you don't make the playoffs, to me, if you, I don't care what the record is, if you are not in the playoffs... All bets are off. I have no idea then. Because if they make the playoffs, I think I think Zimmer and Spielman get extended. Probably not five years, but a couple of years. I think that they're perfectly safe. I think that if they if they go one playoff game and done, it's disappointing. But my sense is nobody gets fired. But Matthew, if you go if if the Rams play lights out for let's say the next three weeks and the Vikings don't and they slip up once or twice. I don't know at that point. So let me throw this out to you, though. Would it depend, in terms of how they view this, entirely on the game against Green Bay? Because if that's your loss, and you win two out of three, but they win three out of three, and they get the playoff spot, and you still finished with the record that we all thought you should finish with. Right. I picked them at 10-6. and six. Courtney had them at 11-5. and five. Like We all thought you'd be in this ballpark. But if they if they end up having a, an, even an 11-5 and five season... And miss the playoffs. I don't. I think it would be extremely difficult to look at that and say, "Sorry, you well, failed." Here's my question. You went eleven and here's five. Here's my question then too. If you go eleven and five and miss the playoffs, and let's say you keep the coach and the GM, what do you do about the quarterback at that point? The quarterback, in uh, my guess, would be staying for a long time. That they would be talking about even right now, doubling down on the quarterback. In a weird way, missing the playoffs would actually help or have the potential. I shouldn't say actually, because then I'd be assuming he melts down the playoffs. It would have the potential to help Kirk Cousins' case for a contract extension here. Because you wouldn't have seen him in the playoffs, but he won a bunch of games for you. The thing he couldn't do was win the games. And then if you he doesn't get in the playoffs because of a weird technicality of this league refusing to acknowledge that their system is bad. Which, by the way... Bad, they are not going to change. No, they said they're they not going to change it. They made it very clear. So I'm going to keep yelling about it because well, it's ridiculous. it makes no sense. I mean, the, the Vikings beat the tar out of the Eagles, but the Eagles have such an easy schedule the rest of the way. They've got a chance to be in the playoffs at 7-9 and nine or 8-8. Eight and eight. Like, what? Well, and the whole thing that makes no sense is the fix is so simple. 
One is, if you want to do the simplest fix possible, seed by record, okay? And, and you can have, if, you're, if your NFC East champion is 7-9, and nine, and you want to stick them in the playoffs, which personally I don't, but let's say that you do, just seed by record. The second thing is, come up with a league rule that if the division champion is 7 and 9 they don't then the playoffs are seeded by by the best records in the conference and you don't go at all if Dallas and Philadelphia I mean Philadelphia might be tied for the division lead I believe after tonight yeah they they should just you could just throw the division out in my mind it's very easy to just not count like you still have divisions so you can play those teams twice a year and it makes sense for regional competition uh, and and rivalries and things that are important to the NFL without valuing that so much right. that you get a playoff spot over if that were to happen think about that a team that goes 8 and 8 gets in the playoffs over an 11 and 5 team is just a complete injustice yep. but it's possible that it could happen to the Vikings if they lose one of these games I will pick them to win all three of these games, but it wouldn't surprise me, considering what we've seen earlier this year. Uh, they lost to a Matt Moore team. They lost to a Chase Daniel team in Chicago if they were to go on the road to Los Angeles and lose by a field goal. Or if Aaron Rodgers were to throw a game-winning touchdown at U.S. Bank Stadium and have a classic great game that instead of you know, Brandon Allen throwing it away at the end, you have Aaron Rodgers throwing a touchdown. And, and that's how razor-thin the margin is for the Vikings, potentially, if the Rams can win the rest of the way, is looking at this system as the entire reason you missed the playoffs. And I would have a tough time looking at anyone and saying, look what you did. Even though there were opportunities to win a lot of games. Yeah, that's the issue. And even though you are largely a product of your schedule, because it's been so easy and you have no wins against winning teams, right. there would still be reason to criticize certain things that happened through this year. But I couldn't get to a place where I said, 11-5, and five, you failed, Mike Zimmer. Like, that's the goal when you start off the season, is to go something like 12-4, and 11-5 and, five and be question. at the top of your division. It's a good question, because you could say that or you could say week two, should have won. Yeah. Blew yeah. it. Kansas City, could have won that one. Yes. Blew it. This team has had... The the mark is is uh, successful at this point record wise, but this team has had what two or three opportunities where you just needed that one more win, mm-hmm. and it was right there. It's not like you couldn't get it, and in each instance, there's been one thing. You're down twenty one nothing at Green Bay. You had every chance to to come back. They basically begged you to. You essentially did, and you blew it. Kansas City felt the same way. You're playing Matt Moore. It's a tough team, tough place, but you're playing Matt Moore. You should win. Seattle, Seattle was a close game. Like any one of those games, you you don't need to run the table and win all three, but let's say you just win one. And you could use that argument in both ways because the counter to that would be right. You were... You were so good that even your losses weren't that bad. Right. You lost, okay, backup quarterbacks you should beat, but still, you lost on a guy kicking a really long field goal that you almost blocked. And, hey, you lost to Seattle when you had the ball with a chance to win four points left. You could look at that as you played right with Seattle that's going to be in the playoffs, and you beat all the teams you were supposed to beat. If you get to the end of the year, Mm -hmm. and there's... A few teams with 13 wins, and there's a team or two with 12, and you're the team with 11, and you're, say, overall record, throw out playoff structure, the fifth best team in the NFC by your record, and you don't make the playoffs, I, I would have a really tough time getting to a place where I could say, how dare you? And when I look at... And I at, think you're probably right. And, and when I look I at... Right. 
even Kirk Cousins' performance, I would not, even though he had a chance to win all those games, if he had played a little bit better. But he's number one in the NFL right now, clean pocket passer rating. He's got outstanding numbers. He even led a 20-point comeback, though it's got a little asterisk because it's the, the Broncos, but they're a, at least a team. Detroit's not okay. even a team. With Drew Locke, and, they look like a Super Bowl and, team. I know, and I wonder if he had been healthy enough to start that game, how that would have gone. But either way, either yep. way, still, Denver's a team. You can respect their head coach. You can respect uh, a lot of things about their players. Uh, Detroit, I looked at is there's no chance. They're, it's just over. They're like when the Vikings played Cincinnati a few years ago. They had given up. They wanted their coach fired. Okay, let's not even talk about this as a, as like a win that matters for anything. But the Denver game, you came back from down 20. I would have a very tough time saying, yep, send that Kirk Cousins pack and who's next? Yeah. That would be very, very difficult, even though extending but, him kind of signs you up for a lot of this still. But these last three games will dictate a ton of, of how this conversation totally, eventually winds totally up. Totally agree. Because if you go in on Sunday and you lose, okay, that's a bad loss and that's tough to take. Then let's say you lose to Green Bay. Now it gets really, really dicey. So these, la- these last three games probably go a long way towards deciding the future of Spielman. Zimmer Cousins. And if we're talking about these last three games as a meltdown by the quarterback, if let's say he does the same thing he did yesterday against the Lions and goes, ah, get the ball away from me, and the guy picks it off and runs it for a pick six, and they end up falling apart and missing the playoffs and losing all three, which is on the table, out of all the possible outcomes, I don't give that one much of a chance, but it is the Vikings down the stretch in the playoffs. They also had a something like an 80% chance to make the playoffs after they beat Miami last year. We were having the same conversation. It's a little deja vu with who are they going to play in the playoffs? And then they end up not playing in the playoffs because we um, made an ass of you and me by assuming they would beat uh, Chicago. Chicago. The the year. Last year, last game, had nothing to play for. Yep. Like they had no reason yes. and you lost. Yep. So it's still it's still on the table for sure. Um, let's assume that it's that it's not, and they win two out of three, and these numbers are pretty much what they are from Kirk Cousins. Who would go into the following season well, saying the guy was one of the best quarterbacks in the league? Get rid of him. Let me give you my new my new working theory on Kirk's next contract. It has to be a, a dual deal in this sense. Kirk broke the bank once, right? Three-year deal, fully guaranteed. I get paid. Okay, Kirk, you're good enough. You get paid. If he comes back here this time, it's, Kirk, we need you to work with us. Mm, nope, I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, then I don't he, think that's him. Then then he might be gone. Because, take, a look, take a look around the league at how many teams always need quarterbacks. I, if he goes out in the open market. But I market, think this is a discussion. He's... Think about what he just did. Even if he has right. a similar year next year, and even if they make the playoffs and lose in the first round or miss the playoffs okay. and he goes 9-7, and seven, because of what he's done this year, okay. somebody will be paying him a load of cash. Think about but does what, he want to just get paid again or win a championship this time? Because if, if he truly wants to win a championship yeah. this time, then we're working together as partners. And, and if he doesn't, then you know what? You're a mercenary. And, and that's fine. But the Vikings... Need someone, I think, next time around who says, I want to make what's mine, but just as importantly, how can we win? But let me circle back to, because we'll have lots of time to talk about extension after the season, and we'll have very long and extensive conversations about it. But let me circle back to, if Kirk doesn't get into the playoffs this year, 
I mean, what is it we're supposed to say about his season? It's a failure that you're not in the playoffs. Like, bottom line is you're not in the playoffs. I can't blame you for winning 11 games and doing what you were supposed to do and being screwed by a system, but the bottom line is two years of Kirk Cousins, two years without playoffs. That also is pretty hard to say, no, it's fine. They won a good amount of games. I agree. So what? Yeah, and here's my thought on that part of the process potentially. If it's two consecutive years, though, the headline the headline last year was Cousins Vikings don't make playoffs. 2018. The headline in 2019 at the rate things are trending right now, I think, and this is this might be fair, might not be, will be Vikings defense let them down. Possibly. So, so to unless, your point, that's unless where, yep. they get to week 17, they can make it with a win, and oh. they lose. Then we go right back to then the it's all different. typical curve. No, I'm, I'm saying right now. Yep. Oh, no, 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 no. If they fall apart in these last three or against the Bears, totally changes. Real quick, some big news for Seattle in terms of their playoff chances. They have lost Rashad Penny for the year. Mm. That's a, a big loss for them. They're very good tandem of running backs. All right, let's take a break. Let's come back. I uh, have some more notes to get to that I didn't get to with Sage about yesterday's game and uh, some topics that I wrote about at scorenorth.com if you want to see a bunch of my statistical takeaways. But the main conversation we're going to have here is How much are you trusting the Vikings down the stretch in these last three games? We'll be right back. Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. A reminder, download the Score North mobile app and register for listening rewards because this month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Amazon gift card just for having and registering their mobile app. You'll also have a chance at many other great prizes just for listening. All you have to do is download the app, register the app, and enter through listening rewards or just listen to scorenorth.com and you have your chance at winning a $200 Amazon gift card. Again, just for having and registering the Score North mobile app. Daniel Hunter getting a couple sacks yesterday puts him up to 52 and a half on his young career at age 25. And when asked how the other teammate, how his other teammates help him get to that number, here's what he said. Sometimes they'll have a chip on the other side or a chip on my side. And if, if the grip's hot, they'll set the chip up on his side and then, you know, it'll leave one-on-one on the left side of the line, on the middle of the line and all that. So it all comes back down to the DBs and the linebackers whenever they cover their guys and having the quarterback hold the ball. That's been your score on download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan, Matthew Collar, and Judd Zolgad. And uh, I made the case ever so briefly, but I might get more into this about Daniil Hunter and defensive MVP. I might make that its own individual story with a, a look at what he's done this year. And if you missed any of Sage Rosenfels breaking down how the Vikings scheme other teams to get a tight end on Daniil Hunter, I still think it's inexcusable, but it was a good breakdown on really? how the, the Vikings, okay, they basically set up their defense on third downs in ways where you have to kind of make a choice and a lot of times the tight end ends up alone that he's supposed to be helping but because of the blitz they show yeah. that he ends up not helping and Daniel Hunter takes advantage so you should still have an answer to that because this is not Daniel Hunter's first game right because you've seen film of this right you should know so what you should to do what they're going to do yes okay. but at the same time they've gotten uh, to be able to do it so many times that it probably is a lot of Daniel Hunter being schemed that way. But as we talk about down the stretch here, 
Judd, something happened yesterday with Mike Zimmer and putting in a defensive back rotation that would give me more confidence about them going against Rivers and against Aaron Rodgers and new age Mitch Trubisky that's all of a sudden great again. Sarcasm tag there. Well, it's um, great at the short passes. But, but Zimmer talked today at the podium about this uh, defensive back rotation he used yesterday. Certain matchups. No, it was just something we decided to do last week. We may not do it this week. Um, just sure you will, Mike. Just uh, felt like it was the best thing to do at this this point. Uh, what, what was the follow up to that? Do you still do you have that? Give me one second to rewind. Okay. Uh, sorry. Because uh, he said something else about how it was helping them be not exhausted. And go. okay, go ahead. It worked. Accomplished what you wanted to get accomplished. Maybe keep it fresher a little bit. Um. Yeah, we played better. Um, so, you know, there was only like one or two things that during the course of the ball game that we did not do like they're being coached to do. So, hopefully, that continues to improve. Maybe take a little play, to, uh, a little wear and tear. You know, where they have to be thinking all the time off their plate. But um, I don't know. We'll see what this week holds. I like how he really struggled to answer what the obvious was. Is yeah, we have put Xavier on the bench more, so he is more uh, ready to go, at least at full strength when he's out there. And situationally, it makes a ton of sense to use Mike Hughes more often because he's pretty good at football. And guess what? Yesterday, he was the top-rated defensive player on the Vikings in terms of pro football focus grades. Bravo for the Vikings for doing that then. So a, a good yes. decision, yeah. but will it work against not David Blau? See, that's what... This is why I'm really, really torn. I like what they did on Sunday, but everything I say has to be followed, and not just the cornerback rotation, but almost every single thing with, yeah, but it was the Lions, right? So you can like what they did, and you can think it's smart, and and yes, it's time for a change there, and they made that change, but you just said the most important thing. So how does it work in a real National Football League game? And that's the question. I don't know. The other part of it, too, is but I liked it. we focused so much on Rhodes and just plowed him last week because, of course, he gave up a 60-yard touchdown. Right. And whether it's a miscommunication or not, you still gave up a 60-yard touchdown, and he's got all the bad grades and the bad quarterback rating against and everything else. We haven't looked super close at Trey Wayne's. This year, Trey Waynes by PFF is having his worst season by his coverage grades, by his quarterback rating against, completion percentage against. Quarterbacks, opposing quarterbacks have 111.7 rating when throwing at Trey Waynes, five touchdowns, only one pick, and a 72% completion percentage. And uh, yesterday, when the Vikings were demolishing David Blau and having no trouble with him, Wayne still gave up eight catches on nine targets. And 132 quarterback rating, 7.9 yards per attempt in his direction. Mm-hmm. Not great, Bob. I mean, just uh, w- when we talk about this, it's been so much about Rhodes because it looks so ugly yeah. with Rhodes. Because he can't run. But really. Wayne's stats aren't that much better. And it, I'm sure part of it is the uh, domino effect of not being able to have Xavier Rhodes be the island corner. But that all of a sudden has left Trey Wayne's getting exposed in a lot of different ways. And down the stretch here, they have Keenan Allen on uh, the Chargers, pretty good football player. They've got a couple other receivers who are decent. They have, uh, of course, Devontae Adams on Green Bay. And if Rhodes isn't going to shadow him, then he could be wherever he wants. And even with the Chicago Bears, Allen Robinson, they've got some decent players on these teams. And 
it should concern you down the stretch, even with a smarter process with the corners. Right. And as you just said, when you start to play these better teams, can you do this again? I mean, David Blau is David Blau. He was he he showed us why if you went on the street and took a guy who who was a good college quarterback off the street and just said, Hey, you know what, today play quarterback. Right. Give it it's, a shot. A, it's very, very difficult. The other the other factor that we have discussed somewhat, but to me not enough is this one too. How many teams have we seen the Vikings struggle with this year that have success, and this is hard to do, but the ones that have success with interior defensive line pressure, right? Because that's when Cousins freaks out. Kirk Cousins can... I'm not saying that he can sense the pressure from the ends that well, but I don't think he freaks out. I think he can roll out. I think he can get sacked, but I don't... But my sense is Kirk Cousins looks uncomfortable and not as good when the interior pressure is coming through. And that's the difference with this Vikings team. How often, compared to last year, compared to certainly a couple of years back, are are they getting that interior push, which makes any quarterback uncomfortable? And that's what I don't know, is how well they're going to perform against these two teams, Green Bay and Chicago, who can create that type of pressure. Because when you look at the recent defenses that the Vikings have gone against, and I'm not saying they didn't earn it, or it's not the NFL or anything like that, but... They're not great, and the Lions are one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL. They rank 28th. Which by, is uh, remarkable, since their coach know, is known for it? defense, but yeah. I digress. Expected points added, they're 28th. Yep. The Seattle Seahawks are a mid-pack type of defense, and they scored 30 points against them. They deserve credit for that. They had a pretty decent offensive day, though it was really 23 points. Seven came off of a batted pass from... Russell Wilson, so the offense doesn't get credit for that. But that's against a, a, an okay team. 13th in expected points added. They're right in that mid-pack. These last three games will be against the team that ranks 17th, 12th, and then 10th in the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. That's a lot different than a lot of the teams that they've had to go against this year and the defenses that they've taken advantage of. They don't have a win against a defense that's good. When I look or at the rankings for EPA, which I think is the best way to do it because a team like Kansas City that causes a lot of turnovers but gives up a lot of yards, they, it gives them credit for that. Like that's something they're good at. Sure. So they're ninth. Well, you didn't perform very well against them. And Chicago is 10th. You didn't perform very well against them. Mm-hmm. Denver is actually 11th and the second half you did, but the first half, not so much. But after that, I mean, Dallas is 19th. The Eagles are 20th. The Washington football squad is 23rd. The Giants are 27th, the Lions are 28th, the right. Falcons oh, yeah. are 29th, yes. and the Raiders are 31st. So, so these these yeah. three games, what I love about the way this schedule has played out, Judd, is that these three games will tell us what we need to know. And if they tell us that this team was never as good as we thought, then they'll be out of the playoffs more likely than not. Correct. And if they win these three games, and the, they will tell us, and we'll be able to legitimately say... Yes, this is a strong team going into the playoffs with a chance to surprise some people from a six seed. And you are, what, 13 games in, and it's remarkable. But but this has been a consistent story for me of this Vikings team this year. I have honestly spent these first 13 games on a fact-finding mission. Because how many times have we said, what is this team exactly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, What is this team? Because we said from day one, and I believe this, we said from day one that this team has a lot of good personnel, right? And they do. They've got a lot of good players. Yes. But we've also said, okay, you know what? You beat Oakland. Don't know. 
Atlanta, week one. It didn't take long to say, don't know. Yep. And that's why you've got these really, really small pockets where you have known or you can find out. Seattle. You know what? I will give you Dallas still. Dallas has turned out to be a dumpster fire, but I believe they were 5-3 and three going into that game. They weren't yet a dumpster fire, but I'm just saying, you went on the road, Kirk in prime time won a, a game. So I'm not going to dismiss a, a that. A game where their quarterback gar- played really well. Yeah, so I'm not going to dismiss that as a garbage win. But more often than not, the Vikings, the Twins, and go for football, it's the same story, which is you get done with these games. You play, um, if you're the Twins, the Tigers, the Royals, the White Sox, right? If you're the Vikings, you play the Raiders, you play the Lions, and you don't know. And so I do think that these last three games are going to give us at least our first um, prolonged look at this is who the 2019 Vikings are. I agree, and I also think this is the world we're going to live in in a lot of pro sports from now on because of tanking. And whether the Miami Dolphins will admit to tanking or not, or the Washington team will, or whatever, um, Cincinnati, they put their quarterback back in, so they might not be tanking, but they're, they're still tanking. Like, and we just, we have front offices who are saying, yeah, we'd rather be one and 15 than be seven and nine. So we're going to make sure that happens. And that's smart. That's what you should do. Hockey has been doing it for a long time. When the Pittsburgh Penguins lost on purpose to get Mario Lemieux, like that is the famed all time moment of saying, Tanking works. Mario Lemieux, pretty damn good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, you see it all the time, every year in hockey. Well, we've got three veteran players that we could trade away for absolutely nothing and lose a bunch of games and get a higher pick. And even though leagues have tried the to... The North Stars did exactly that a few years back. And they were one that it didn't work? It right? worked. Mike Madonna. Oh, it, oh, it was Mike not Madonna. a few years back. Okay, yeah. 25 years back. Um, okay. But maybe the wild should have done it. But at your some point's point, exactly right. right. But, but in yes. sports, tanking works, and now everyone knows this is no secret. It's like three pointers in the NBA. Everyone knows it works, so everyone's trying to do three pointers. Mm-hmm. But what that gives us is only two outcomes. We, who is the media? Maybe Tampa Bay is like the league's only team that's really trying to win, but isn't any good. And they're what six and seven or something like that. We don't have many of those teams. It's either you're all in trying Cardinals to win, probably right. Yeah, and what do they got, though? Three wins? They got like three, yeah, wins, three yeah. wins. So you're either all in trying to win, and yeah. some teams will just be a disaster anyway. Some teams will surprise us and be better than we think. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's either you're in Category A or you're in Category B. You're real good competing for a Super Bowl, or you are just absolute trash, and you're competing for Joe Burrow. And that's where it becomes much harder, because when your schedule has, out of 13 games, nine of them against teams that are not really trying to compete or not capable in the case of the Lions of competing, how do we really know who you are by the time we get to the end of the season? We are lucky enough to have three games, or at least two of them, I say three because it's on the road, where we'll be able to know. Now, let me ask you this, Judd. What do you think of the fact that at this moment, in the playoff seeding, the Green Bay Packers are a two-seed today, Mm -hmm. and the New Orleans Saints are a three-seed that would face the Minnesota Vikings in the first round of the playoffs. It'd be great fun. I said on Ventline today, I do think, and this is not, the Saints are not a great team, but I do think that sending Minnesota to the Superdome to play, I can't see it. I can actually see them, I can see the Vikings going to Lambeau Field 
not being favored, and winning. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me right now, can I see Kirk Cousins and this defense traveling to play Drew Brees in the Superdome? If you were to play him here, different story. But in that venue where I think Kirk would get flustered because it's loud and it, it would cause Kirk the same problems that, that we have seen some very good quarterbacks have right here. Um, and the Vikings defense is currently constructed. Brees might not be the same quarterback that he was three years ago, but guess what? Played darn good on Sunday against a San Francisco defense that to that point had been fantastic. I think it would be great fun. There is no way that I could pick the Vikings. Um, the stat that sticks out to me when I look at the New Orleans Saints that says you don't have a great chance going down there, not just the fact that it's the Superdome and that it's one of the toughest places to play, basically on par with U.S. Bank Stadium for toughest places to play, but their scoring percentage per drive, third in the NFL, Turnover percentage on offense, number one in the NFL, the New Orleans Saints. They're not giving you any breaks. They're scoring every time they touch the ball, and you're sending Michael Thomas against a defense that has struggled, for the most part, to stop the pass, even against not a not-great group of quarterbacks that they've played. And even when they faced Matt Stafford the last time, he went off on them. And Russell Wilson eventually got them, but they were spending most of the time running over you. Well, yeah. the Saints can do that, too. Latavius Murray has his highest yards per carry of his career. That'd be fun to watch, wouldn't it? it well, there'd be a lot of revenge factor uh, going on there with Teddy Bridgewater yeah. and Latavius Murray, and even if we want to throw in Nick Easton, uh, I noticed that he's been playing at times, too. So um, that would be the team where I, if you were to give me a choice and mm-hmm. you said, do you want to play the Packers at Lambeau or the Saints in the Superdome? It's a million times in a row the Packers down there. They're, Absolutely. And, and when you look at the way Rodgers has played, you could say washed, as I have on the show before, only half joking. But it's not the same Rodgers as it was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Drew Brees, though, yesterday against one of the best defenses in the NFL just let a game-winning drive and put up 46 points on them, and it's the same Drew Brees this year. He's got a 109 quarterback rating, one of the top QBRs, 17 touchdowns, four picks. I mean, he's been lowest sack percentage in the entire He'd pick NFL. Your apart. Yeah, he he would pick you apart. He is still Drew Brees, and uh, Michael Thomas has a chance at the NFL MVP, if it wasn't going to be Lamar Jackson, it could be Michael Thomas. He's been that good this year. I wouldn't want to be facing New Orleans. Much, much rather go to face a team in Green Bay that I think is pretty meh. Like, if we get good, of course, they're yeah. good. They're not a joke. It'd but, be a close game, but you could win it. But they're like looking in the mirror with the Vikings. Yeah. Aren't their media people saying, well, we don't know if this seems really And your defense real. might not be as good as you thought it was going to be in Green Bay, which is the same, which now with the drop off here is true. And Rodgers is still very good, but you're right. He's not the guy that he was five years ago. Yeah. If you, if you go to Lambeau, I think the Packers are probably favored by, let's say, three points. And if you win, I'm not surprised. If you go to the Saints, I think the Saints are favored by, let's say, five to six, six points. And if you win, I'm shocked. Yeah, and what they did to the Saints defense yet or the uh, 49ers defense yesterday tells me that what happened. There? Breeze might be playing himself into his best football. What happened with uh, the Niners defense? I wish I had watched the game. I haven't gone back. And I thought you might have gone back and watched part. No, of that. I didn't do that last night. I was, I was so wrapping bitter. up some other things. Sat by you yesterday. We no, were just mad. No offense, but having to sit by you at that at that game, the Vikings game, and see the score. 
at the Superdome continued to go up. Because I kept telling you exactly what was going on. I know, but I hated you more and more. Yeah, it, that was classic. Uh, what we would have like right now... like a marriage gone bad. I was stuck with you, and I wanted to be watching that game. Well, you know, that's a shame. Uh, Seattle going to Dallas, which could very well be the Eagles. If the Eagles win tonight, then, they're, then they have a chance to beat Dallas. and But nothing needs to the change. Table. These are all playoff teams. I know. It's, it's laughable. But you would have San Francisco and Green Bay being the two teams. Now, my other takeaway from yesterday, though, yep. is if San Francisco can win a bloody battle or at least uh, hang with Baltimore in one of those bloodbath type of games yep. and slow down Lamar Jackson with their defense, yep. and then they can have a shootout with Drew Brees yep. and win that, yep. guess what? San Francisco, guess to me, what? is number one, and then it's everybody else. Guess what? Kyle Shanahan might be this good. I think if you look at Atlanta 2016 with him calling the plays and how they had a historically great offense, the minute he leaves, Matt Ryan's never the same again. Kyle Shanahan might be this good. I've got a question for you regarding officiating and challenges. Are we on the precipice now of a sea change of we're going to have challenge flags and or challenges from the booth on PIs and they're now going to call them? We saw it yesterday. And I think it was a challenge from the booth. I don't think it was a coach's challenge, and they changed it. I believe the answer is yes. I believe that when we have the New York do it, then we'll see a lot more changes. I have seen more uh, flags thrown in reviews that have been changed, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have just quietly made it more clear to the referees in, in New York because New York is really the to, to blame. Our buddy Alberto Al- Riveron. Alberto's great. Yeah. Uh, that he made it more clear to Alberto after mm-hmm. seeing a bunch of these go which way mm-hmm. that he could see. All right, this is the one I should have overturned, but didn't because I wasn't sure what to do. And now he might have a better sense of it. There were a few plays on Sunday that could have been overturned around the league, and maybe one of them was Jets and Dolphins game. They did it. If you are and two months ago, it's not changed for sure. Right. And there's been a few of those. If you are Mike Zimmer and you are in week 17 against the Chicago Bears and there's something that's pretty borderline, now you do throw the flag. Where earlier in the season, I would have said, Mike, don't bother. You're just going to lose a time and you lost your timeout. Now I am starting to trust this process a little more. The referees are just as shady and messed up as ever. If you watch what happened in New England yesterday, where they probably should have won that game, honestly, but the yeah. referees took away a, probably two touchdowns from them. Yeah. One with the receiver diving in, another with Travis Kelsey. For no fumble. reason. That's and, what frustrates me about it. There and, was no reason to do that. And why wouldn't you err on the side of caution and just rule it a touchdown or just rule it a fumble and not knowing these things week to week? becomes frustrating, and we haven't even talked about I'm glad we waited to talk about the refs to the end of the show, so I couldn't rant for another hour. I have to be stopped in one minute. Um, Yesterday, Walt Anderson. Cut it out, Walt. He's Joe West. He's the Joe West of football. Look at me, look at me. I've been doing this for a long time. I wanted to cry in the first half of that game watching Well, you told me you showed up in the press box, and the first thing that you said was you were PO'd when you woke up on Sunday knowing that you had to watch that game. And in retrospect, you were right to be PO'd. And then when I found out Walt Anderson was the head ref, oh, it made it even worse. Agreed. Uh, so that wasn't great. But, Agreed. Uh, all credit to the Vikings for doing what they were supposed to do. And now we look forward to this game uh, in L.A. that has 
a lot of intrigue. You'll be I there. Think. So I will be there. It'll be fun. Uh, Courtney will be in tomorrow along with Alex Boone. I'm excited about this week of shows here on Purple Daily. So we will uh, catch you tomorrow. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.